Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rightly Dividing Podcast. My name is Carlos Frazier, and I'm your host. And today we are jumping right back into our book study on the book of Hebrews. This will be part four in our study of the book of Hebrews. And we, interestingly, will be looking at verse four, hopefully getting through verse five as well. Uh, Jumping right into it, I actually want to read uh, starting in verse number one, just to give some context uh, for verses four and five uh, before we jump into the study. So let's read verses one through five of Hebrews chapter one. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So we've covered verses 1, 2, and 3 in prior episodes, and that brings us up to verse 4, where it says, Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now this is a verse that I want to give some careful attention to, Because this is a verse that some people get very, very wrong. And I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that we get this right. Especially since it's telling us about who Jesus is. And that's very important not to get it wrong when we're talking about who Jesus is. And starting right off in this verse, it's referring to Jesus and says of Jesus being made so much better than the angels. It refers to Jesus being made so much better than the angels. And there are some people who will latch on to that word being made, and they'll say, see, Jesus was made. And they'll say that that means that Jesus is a created being. But if you'll forgive me for being as frank as what I am here, that kind of statement about this verse demonstrates some severe ignorance. That term being made so much better than the angels doesn't mean that he was created, doesn't mean that he uh, was formed or or made. It just says he's being made better than the angels, being made so much better than the angels. That word being made, it does not mean created. It does not mean brought into existence. That's not what this means. It just means that he is. When I married my wife, I made her my wife. Does that mean that I created her, that I brought her into existence when I married her? No, it just means that I made her my wife. Did I make her? Did I form her? No. But that's also not the context of this verse either. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the way that I married my wife means I made her my wife, that that's what this verse is saying about Jesus, that he was made better than the angels, because it's not. That's not even the context either. But this word being made, and I say word, I realize that being made is two words, but in the Greek, it was one word is a word genomai. And genomai is a word that is translated a bunch of different ways, all of which basically have their meaning in to be or to become or is, was. It, it has, it's a being word. Some of the examples that Strong's Concordance gives are to be brought to pass, 
to become, to pass, to continue, to be done, to draw, to be ended, to be finished, to follow, to be found, to be fulfilled, grow, happen, have, be kept, be made, ordained to be, partake, pass, performed, published. Those, those are some of the examples that Strong's gives. But if we look at some of the ways that this word is translated into English in the King James Version, if you, there, this word is used in the, in the King James Version 672 times. And let's look at some of the ways that it's translated. Matthew 1.22 translated as was done. Matthew 5.18 translates it as be fulfilled. Matthew 6.16 translates it as be. Matthew 7.28 and a whole bunch of other places translates it as it came to pass. Matthew 8.13 translates it so be it done. Matthew 8.26 translates it as there was. Matthew 9.16 translates it is. Matthew 9.29 translates it be it. When Jesus speaks and says according to your faith be it unto you. Be it comes from Ginomai. Matthew 10.16 translates it be. Matthew 10.25 translates it be. Matthew 11.26, Jesus says, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight, when he said, It seemed. That's Ginomai. Matthew 18.12 translates it have. Matthew 18.13 translates it as so be. Matthew 23.26 translates it as may be. And it has a whole bunch of uses in Matthew 24. Verse 20 translates it as be. Verse 21 translates it as was, as well as shall be. Verse 32 translates it as is. Verse 34 translates it as be fulfilled. 2444 translates it as be. 256 translates it as made. Matthew 26.2 translates it as is. 26.6 translates it was. 26.20 translates it was come. 26.42 translates it be done. 26.54 translates it be. So you get my point. The, the point that I'm making here by pointing all these out is that this word does not mean it used to be something else, but now it's this. This word, ginomai, is not saying that Jesus used to be like the angels, but now he's not. It's not saying that he used to be equal to or less than the angels, but now he's better. It's not saying that he achieved something. It's not saying that he attained something. It's just saying that he is better than the angels. And you say, well, Brother Carlos, are you saying that this verse was translated wrong, that it shouldn't have been translated being made? No, I'm not saying that it was translated wrong. I'm saying that some people misunderstand it, that they don't understand what it means when it says being made so much better than the angels. They think that that means, oh, he didn't used to be better than the angels, but he is now. But that's not what it means. It's similar to if I were to say that the elephant is the largest land mammal on earth, and that makes it bigger than giraffes and hippos. Am I saying that elephants used to be smaller than giraffes and hippos? Or am I saying that their size and stature makes them bigger? They always have been bigger, but they are bigger because of what they are. They're bigger than giraffes and hippos just because they are bigger than giraffes and hippos. I'm not saying that they didn't used to be. I'm saying that their size makes them bigger. And in the same way, this verse is not saying that Jesus didn't used to be better, but what it is saying that his power and authority to sit on the right hand of the majesty on high and the name, which is a more excellent name, which he has by an inheritance, that that makes him better than the angels and so much better than the angels. 
And if you're still struggling with this, take the two words being made and trade them out for making him. It still means the same thing. It's just a slightly different way of wording the exact same thing to say Jesus being made or making him. It's the same thing, just somewhat different syntax. If I were to say being made so much better than the angels versus if I were to say making him so much better than the angels. Now do you get it? This isn't saying that he used to be equal to or less than the angels, but now he's been made better, like he's gotten promoted somehow. What this is saying is that his power and his authority to sit on the right hand of the majesty on high makes him so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The name that he has makes him better than the angels. The fact that he has that name by inheritance makes him better than the angels. That's what this is saying. It's not saying that he used to be like the angels and now he's been made better, that he's been improved somehow. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is that the things about Christ that makes him who he is, the things about Jesus that are his nature, his identity makes him better than the angels. His own power makes him better than the angels. His own authority makes him better than the angels. His own name makes him better than the angels. That's what this means when it says being made. It's it's not saying that he's made by a promotion or that he's been improved somehow, but it's saying the things about him that make him who he is, those things, his identity, his nature, his essence, his name makes him better than the angels are. So it says being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He didn't achieve a more excellent name than they did. He didn't earn a more excellent name. He wasn't granted a more excellent name. He hath by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. He's obtained his name not by earning it, not by uh, achieving it, not by being having it granted unto him, but the name that he has, which, which is a more excellent name than the angels, he has it because he has obtained it by inheritance. And we, if you remember in a prior episode when we looked at verse number two, where it says, that God has spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. That means he has rights of ownership by right of sonship. And that's what this is saying in verse number four, when it says he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. It means he has a right to that name by the nature of who he is. The nature of his own identity gives him the right to claim that name. His relationship to the father and who he is causes him to have the right to claim the name he has. He wasn't promoted into it. He didn't earn it. It wasn't given unto him as a gift. It wasn't given unto him as a reward for something that he did. If you listen to the Mormons long enough as they try to describe Christ, it makes it seem like he was just any old ordinary angel, but he was promoted because of what he offered, because of the ideas that he had. That's not the case. 
Jesus was not promoted. The name that he has, which is above every name, that name which he has, he has by rights of inheritance, by rights of who he is, his own identity gives him the right to claim this name. And it's important to recognize that even though this is the beginning of a new verse, it is not the beginning of a new sentence. But this is all still the same sentence that started in verse number one. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. All one sentence. So you've got to keep it in that context. When it says he is being made so much better than the angels, it's not saying he's being created and it's certainly not saying he's being promoted. But what it is saying is all these things that I'm telling you about Jesus make him better than the angels. All these attributes of Jesus, all these characteristics of Christ, all these things that make him who he is, those are the things that make him better than the angels, his own identity, just who he is, the very nature of who Christ is, is all it takes for him to be so much better than the angels. And yet there are still people who will try to claim that Jesus is an angel. There are still people that will try to claim that say Jesus started as an angel and the name that he has, the, the, the position that he has now is because God promoted him because of what Jesus did and because of how Jesus lived, the sacrifice Jesus made uh, or, or, or whatever that Jesus and God worked out and he got promoted from being an angel to being God's son. But that's not the case. That's not what this verse is saying at all. The verse is telling us the very opposite, that by the very nature of who Jesus is makes him better than an angel. And here's something for you to stop and think about when it, it comes to the idea that Jesus used to be an angel or that Jesus used to be like the angels or equal with the angels somehow or in in that same realm as the angels. Consider this, that just a couple verses ago, it says that by Jesus, God made the worlds. And in John chapter one, it tells us that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made if Jesus didn't make it, okay? So who made the angels? Colossians 1.16 tells us, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So again, I ask, who made the angels? Jesus made the angels. So if Jesus made the angels, how could he have ever been equal with the angels? He is their creator. How can the creation be equal to the creator? How can the creator be equal to the creation? It is impossible for the creator not to be greater than the creation, for he created it. So if Jesus created the angels, it is impossible that he was ever not greater than the angels. 
So my condolences to the Mormons, my condolences to those who would agree with their assessment that Jesus is somehow the half-brother of the devil, that's not the case. That's heresy. And maybe somebody thinks I'm being harsh, but it's a fact. If you deny the deity of Christ, and especially if you claim that Jesus was an angel, if you claim that Jesus is the brother or the half-brother of the devil, you're a heretic. I know of people trying to claim to be Trinitarian and saying that they deny the deity of Christ because they're standing against the oneness people, the oneness Pentecostals who think that Jesus is the Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and because they, they're not oneness, they say, oh, I'm Trinitarian, but I don't believe Jesus is God. No, if you don't believe Jesus is God, not only are you not Trinitarian, you're not a Christian because you don't believe in the Christ of the Bible. If you don't believe in the Christ of the Bible, you're not a Christian. The God of the Bible is a triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, all three of which are the same God. And I'm sorry if somebody thinks I'm being harsh, but as Christians, we can't afford to be wrong about who Jesus is. We can't afford to be wrong about who God is. When our salvation hinges on the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, when our eternity hinges on the redemption of Christ's blood, we can't be wrong about who he is. And verse 5 of Hebrews 1 goes on to say, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The way this question is asked, it's letting us know that God never said to an angel that they were his son, but he did say that Jesus was his son. He did say about Jesus, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. But the implication from this verse is that he never said that to an angel, but he did say it to Jesus. So if he did say it to Jesus, but did not say it to an angel, how can Jesus be an angel? He can't. He's not. And now just like there's some people that are going to get hung up in verse four, where it says being made, there's going to be other people and honestly, probably the same people get hung up in verse 5 where it says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And they're going to say, well, see, it says that God begot him or, or begat him. This day have I begotten thee. That means that this day, there is a particular day where God begat Jesus. So Jesus has a beginning. So he has to be a created being. But no, that's that's an ignorant statement. And you have not studied this out. You're taking a snippet and not even trying to understand what it means. And you're taking things out of context and you're twisting scripture like a pretzel. If that's what you take from this. What this is, is a quote of Psalm 2, verse number 7. In Psalm 2, verse number 7, it's prophetic about the Messiah here where it says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So the writer of Hebrews here is not saying that God established a day when Jesus was begotten and that's the beginning of Jesus. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. What he's doing is he's quoting the Psalms that prophesied the Messiah where God said about the Messiah, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And then somebody's still going to be hung up and say, but what does that mean where it says this day have I begotten thee? What day was that? Well, there's two camps of thought on this. There's one camp that says that Jesus is eternally begotten. So this day is every day because every day the father is begetting the son. He emanates from the father. And so he is constantly being begotten 
of the father. So he, he is all, he is part and parcel comes from the father. So he is constantly being begotten of the father. So this day is every day. Now I understand where they're coming from, that the son does come from the father. And, and we've talked about that in prior episodes, but I don't think that that's what this is saying, because I think the Bible actually tells us what this is saying. When he says, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I think we can pinpoint what this day is referring to. And I think we can understand what it means where he says, have I begotten thee? Because if we are to assume that the writer of Hebrews is not the apostle Paul, then the writer of Hebrews is not the only one to quote this verse. Because the apostle Paul quoted it as well in Acts chapter 13. If we start looking at verse 26, we're, we're jumping right into the middle of Paul's message here. You can uh, go earlier in the chapter if you want to read the whole message. But if we jump into the middle here, Paul is preaching and he says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Now, I'll, I'll pause here. We'll pick it back up in a second. But I want to point this out that it says, but God raised him from the dead. A lot of times we think that Jesus just woke up or that, that Jesus just came back out of the grave, but he didn't just wake up. He didn't just come back to life. God raised him from the dead. And this is not the only place in scripture where it tells us that God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, thou art my son this day have I begotten thee. So Paul here plainly says that Psalm 2 verse 7 was fulfilled by the resurrection of Jesus. When God raised Jesus up again, that fulfilled the prophecy given in Psalm 2 where God said, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now this is not saying that Jesus is God's son because he raised him from the dead. Because even before, years before Jesus was crucified, he was baptized. And when he was baptized, the spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God had already established and declared, this is my son. So he didn't begin to be, to be God's son when he was resurrected. The resurrection was not what made him God's son, but the resurrection is what God was referring to when he said, this day have I begotten thee. Well, how is that so? What, how, how do you take raising him from the dead and call that begetting him? Well, let's go right back to Colossians chapter one. And this time let's look at verse 18, where it says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. 
So here it says that he is the firstborn from the dead. Acts chapter 13, Paul says that it was fulfilled that he was begotten of God when God raised him from the dead. And here in his epistle to the Colossians, he says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. So between Colossians chapter 1 and Acts chapter 13, we can see plainly that Paul is telling us that Psalm chapter 2 saying that this day have I begotten thee of God speaking of the Messiah was speaking and prophesying of the fact that Jesus would be the firstborn from the dead, that he would die and God would raise him up again and he would come from death, that he would be born out of death. So now back to Hebrews, when the writer says, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. It is not saying that this is the day Jesus was born. It is not saying that this is the day that Jesus began to exist. What it's saying is this day I have brought you out of death into life. I have raised you up again out of death to make you the firstborn from the dead. He's not saying you are my son because I have begotten you. He is saying, you are my son and I have begotten you. He's saying that you are my beloved son and I have raised you up from the dead to be the firstborn from the dead, that in all things you should have the preeminence. And if we keep on reading through Hebrews 1, we see in verse number 6 that this is reiterated when he says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of course, there's going to be somebody that gets just as confused here in verse number six, where it says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, and they'll say, well, see, that's saying that God brought him into the world. God made him, God created him. That's not what it's saying, because how could he bring him into the world when there was no world? Because we've already read three different places that Jesus made the world. So if Jesus made the world, but God made Jesus, what world did he bring Jesus into? There wasn't one. But God didn't make Jesus. Jesus wasn't made. Jesus wasn't created. So what's it talking about when it says he bringeth in the first begotten into the world? It's talking about when Jesus came to us. That word when he says he bringeth in, that word means to introduce. Not that he introduced the world to Christ, but he introduced Christ to the world. He brought him here. He came to us as God in the flesh. It's talking about when he came down to earth to walk among us. And we'll end here with at the end of verse number six, that when he brought him into the world, when he introduced him, God said, and let all the angels of God worship him. How can it be said that the angels should worship one of their own? Jesus is not only better than the angels, but Jesus is deserving of their worship. And here's something that's very important to understand. Our God is a jealous God, and to worship anything other than God is idolatry and sin. But yet God said of his son, let all the angels of God worship him. If that doesn't tell you that Jesus is God, I don't know what will. Well, I say that and then I realize that in the next episode, we're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8 and on through the rest of the chapter as we go through this study. And uh, there's some pretty strong stuff in there to indicate to us and, and really straight up tell us plainly that Jesus is God. So stay tuned for that. 
And I do want to say thank you for listening to this episode. I hope it was helpful. I hope it was a blessing to you. And uh, keep us in your prayers. And we will see you again in the next episode in a couple of weeks. Bye.